0: This is The Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to The Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, and today is my guest, John Smerek, is the reason I decided I would have a podcast anyways, because I get to have... One of the best parts about what I do and what I get to do is I work with John Zmirak, a writer for The Stream, author, prolific author, and someone I have admired since the early 2000s when, as, a, as an influential conservative writer, John Zmirak had the courage to stand up to the establishment on the right, to the people that wrote his checks, and scream, no, to our doomed regime change war in Iraq. And from that moment on, he has had my admiration. He's hysterical, he's witty, he's funny, he's wise. And I get to talk to him every day and I thought, how do I exploit this guy? You know, how do I exploit him? Harold Bloom, the great literary critic from Yale said, our job is to look around, see what's near us that we can leverage to make other people have a bigger, more beautiful life. And so, with that, John, I am leveraging you so people listening to this podcast can have a bigger, more beautiful life. Welcome to The Jason Jones Show.
1: Thanks, Eric. That's, I'm sorry. <laughs> can we got this? No. I'm used can. to talking to Eric Metaxas. No, you just... Thanks, you just, Jason.
0: You just accidentally called me Eric Metaxas. That's the coolest thing ever.
1: Yeah. That's right. That's you right. Well, you know... You and Eric Metaxas are two of the most influential, effective people in America for doing good things. And I'm proud to be good friends with both of you and to worked together with both of you on projects. And uh, I, I'm delighted to be on the Jason Jones Show uh, to talk about a recent good event, usually at stream.org five days a week. Four out of those five, I have to write about bad news. I mean, just following the news is exhausting. I wrote a column last week I, d- I said, I'm done with 2020. I'm officially done. We've had enough news for one year, enough bad news. So I just did a year-end roundup, best of 2020, and arbitrarily decided that we're going we're gonna to make it 2021 now. Um,
0: <laughs> but finally,
1: we got a piece of good news.
0: Well, I just wanted to say this, John. Uh, you know, there is a lot of bad news out there, but, you know, as senior editor at the stream, and there are a lot of rumors in Washington that the stream is... One of the most read, if not the most read, think site in the White House. I don't know. If, I don't know if you've heard that, but I've heard that. And you, as senior editor, have done a great job of reporting on bad news that people wouldn't have heard about, if not for the stream, especially very in-depth, detailed information on what Christians and Kurds and others have been facing in Syria, in Iraq, on the plight of the Uyghur. And so, for that, uh, thank you, and keep telling us the bad news that we don't want to hear and other people aren't willing to write. I think that's very important, but uh, let's get to the good news. Okay, what's the good news? Let's
1: get to the good news. Okay, so it, it's, it's a, a tr- uh, grand slam home run. First of all, Trump's fantastic State of the Union speech, where... He basically gave the kind of speech that Cl- Bill Clinton would have given back in the 90s, back when the Democrats were still a mainstream patriotic political party that cared about America and working people. Uh, Donald Trump's speech was would have been vintage Bill Clinton, except for the part where he, Trump went one better and, it, and endorsed the sanctity of unborn life. Imagine if Bill Clinton had been a pro-lifer. Well, you've you got to see what that would have been like at the State of the Union speech. And of course, we got to see Nancy Pelosi do an unhinged hissy fit. And the next day, Trump got to be vindicated from these bogus impeachment charges, which are just the culmination of an election obstruction and sabotage campaign that the left and the GOP establishment elements of it, the Never Trumpers, that they've been orchestrating since 10 o'clock at night on election night 2016. That's when the resistance started. Uh, to America's elites, ordinary people in the red states, people in flyover country, blue-collar people, religious believers, for us to march into the voting booth and win is the equivalent of the Nazis marching into Paris. That's why they call themselves the resistance. We didn't call ourselves the resistance when Obama got elected. You don't do that when you lose an election. You do that when – your country is undermined from the inside, and you lose a war, and you're occupied by a foreign totalitarian government. That's how much they hate us. That's how much Google and Harvard and Bloomberg and the Democratic National Committee and Bernie Sanders anti thugs and Pete Buttigieg and. Bill Crystal and the neocons, that's how much they hate their fellow Americans. For us to win one election is like the Nazis winning World War II. And, and when you say, how do you deal with
0: that? Well, when, when you say us, John, I was one of those people, as you very well know, I was covering the convention for the stream, and I couldn't even stand to listen to Trump. So I was one of those that's right. folks that, you know— I was my heart was broken but of course my heart was broken because I thought this was going to be a New York liberal who wasn't going to keep his promises to conservatives because I I've been used to watching you know people from the east coast like Mitt Romney make promises and then you know flip-flop back and forth relentlessly and treat us like trash and kick us to the curb and I too was also made comfortable uncomfortable by the fact that a lot of people were becoming involved with the Republican party just because of, at the time, I was like, you know what? They're here to support Trump because they're, they're aggrieved. They're not going to stick around. They're not going to help build the party. They're just voting for Trump, and they're going to go back home, and they're going to go back to their jobs, and they're going to leave it to the rest of us um, to try to keep the party going. And, and I was right, but they were right. These were just folks who were trying to live a life, uh, blue-collar folks, That saw an opportunity, and all the people in my life that were the first to run to support Trump were blue collar Democrats. All the closest people to me in my family, the closest people to me who are my friends. And they were blue collar Democrats who happened to be socially conservative, most of them. But in the end of the day, they said, I'm voting for Trump because Trump is going to fight for me. And they saw something, John, that I didn't see. Did you see this in 2016? no, you and I
1: both were backing Ted Cruz through the convention, and he was the choice of the leading social conservatives in most cases, the pastors and the activists on the Christian right were behind ted cruz but the but he was not he was not the Donald Trump was not the the champion sorry of the pastors and the activists, but he was apparently the people's champion. What happened, I think was that President Donald Trump as a candidate had no connection to the GOP swamp, to the establishment. They hated him. They saw him as a threat. They thought he was going to affect their stock prices, that he might cut into cheap labor that made their stock prices and, and their portfolios rise, that he was tapping into a populism, which elitists find extremely dangerous because they don't trust ordinary people. They don't see them. They don't meet them. They don't mix with them. They don't meet ordinary Americans at all. They hire immigrants to do their work. They, they don't even meet guys who are in the yard or, or women watching their kids who are blue-collar Americans. Blue-collar Americans live two or three states away from, from the elites. So Donald Trump didn't have, uh, didn't have a dog in the race of the Republican establishment, so they turned on him ferociously. They did everything they could to try to steal the nomination from him, even up through the convention. Well, what did that do? That left Donald Trump politically isolated. So what did he do? He went for the voters— who make up the Christian right? And so you had pastors backing Ted Cruz, and nobody was following them. You had all these chiefs and no Indians. The Indians were all following Donald Trump because they knew he cared about their day to day life. He cared about their economic security. He respected them as fellow citizens, even though he was a billionaire. He felt more uh, solidarity with them as fellow Americans than he did with his fellow billionaires in Switzerland and Belgium. That's not true of the elites on the left and the right. Well, they, I, they are, I've called them the party of international business class.
0: Well, you're right, and, 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 a, and a sort of a tell. that was really the final straw where I said, I actually like Donald Trump, was this tell. And the tell was listening to the jailhouse snitch recount the story Jeffrey Epstein told him about flying on his private plane with Trump and some French models to West Palm Beach. Did you hear this story? No, no. So the jailhouse snitch said that he had asked Jeffrey Epstein what Trump was like, and he said Trump wasn't interested in women. Trump was interested in his casinos and his businesses and, and his hotels, and one day we were flying, I don't know if it was from Paris or New York, and they were they were, you know, nearing Jersey— and Trump said do you want to go do you want to land the plane in atlantic city and see my casino and jeffrey epstein said i don't go to atlantic city it's filled with white trash and the french one, <laughs> of, one of the french models said what's white trash and donald trump said if i didn't have any money i would be white trash and he turned his back on jeffrey epstein he said and walked to the other side of the plane where he sat alone the rest of the flight and that's great and <laughs> to me, that was and Trump tell. was one of the only people to be,
1: and Trump was one of the only people to be helpful in the investigation of, Ep, of, of, of Epstein and his exploitation of young girls.
0: And he kicked he him out of Merlago decades who, ago. He kicked him out of Merlago decades. Yeah, that's ago. right. And you know, another tell—I always look for these little tells. You know, I have a friend who um, works for Alphabet agencies, and he, you know, he teaches me these little tricks. One trick is, he said, when you meet a business partner, someone you're planning on doing business with see how their wife treats you because wives can't hide what their husbands say behind your back uh, at the dinner table. Ah, I always look for these little tells. Well, Trump, that, that, a tell that he gave in his speech, it was this throwaway line in the speech. He said, he got to trade. He said, I fair and free trade. And then he, you know, he did, he, he did what he does, which like my grandfather goes off on a tangent. You know, this was a short one, but he, he did this throwaway line where he said, uh, You know, and this is really where I ran for president right here. This is why. And I thought, why would this billionaire, why was fair and free trade the reason he decided to run? He benefits. He's reached the stratosphere where he benefits from the neoliberal scheme of exploiting the working class and middle classes of the world for their benefit. Why?
1: why And dividing them, and dividing them by by making. By, by making it all about race, class, gender, uh, non, non-binary sexuality, all of that is a distraction from the fact that they're stealing the lunch out of the blue-collar workers' lunch pails, eating half of it and leaving the other half in the, in the lunch pail.
0: Yeah, so why would a billionaire, why would that be what forced him into a position where he would be the most, went from being celebrated by Oprah Winfrey and Hillary Clinton to becoming the most vilified man in the world, it was well, what
1: I've heard is that Trump spent a lot of time on his building sites talking to and working with the construction workers, and he liked them better than the billionaires he was mixing with in society. That's what I heard. I think that's probably right. Well, and what I also He genuinely preferred the guy, those guys.
0: Yeah, and he probably, as even a young man, admired them and saw a lot of virtues that he wished he had in himself or that the people around closest to him had. And he admired them from a distance and worked very hard to cultivate those relationships and become a pit bull for them. And so here's our pit bull. Now, you wrote this article on Mitt Romney. Do, you, do we want to move to that? I just think is was
1: Yeah, brilliant. yeah, sure. Yeah, it's at stream.org, and it's called Mitt, Christian's Dodge Mitt Romney's Bullet. Christian's Dodge Romney's Bullet. He wanted us marginalized and voiceless. Um, and I'm talking about the fact that Mitt Romney, unlike a lot of never-Trumpers, Uh, He did not flatter Donald Trump into appointing him to things. Donald Trump, unfortunately, made a huge mistake and hired a bunch of people who hated him to work in his White House. Uh, People like John Bolton, uh, people like Nikki Haley, people who had wouldn't wouldn't have heat on him if he were on fire during, during the primaries and he hired them instead of his own supporters. And as, that's one of the reasons the administration has been riddled with leaks and coup attempts and all sorts of insanity. It reminds me of the way Ronald Reagan let the Bush faction staff the white house. And that's how you got Supreme court appointments like Anthony Kennedy and Sandra Day O'Connor. And that's how, how you got Reagan not appearing at the March for life, but phoning it in. Um, Donald Trump made a similar mistake. Interestingly, Mitt Romney was too arrogant even to be a flatterer like that. Mitt Romney thought, no, I'm going to go in the Senate. I'm going to, I'm going to get Trump to endorse me. I'm going to go in the Senate and I'm going to, I'm going to wait there as president in waiting. And when Trump implodes, when he loses the 2020 election, I will be unsullied and I can step forth with Paul Singer's money And Bill Crystal connections, and I can take over the party, and I will finally be able to to live out my one political principle, which is that only Mitt Romney should be president. That is the only principle Mitt Romney has is that he should be president of the United States. It's like Gollum going after the ring in The Lord of the Rings. He wants the precious. It's his birthday present. Give it to him. Gollum, Gollum.
0: (laughs) So... In a lot of ways, he's our Al Gore, trying to succeed where his father failed. The only problem is he has a lot more fortitude than Al Gore. Al Gore just kind of quit and sullied away. But, you know, this sulked away. But uh, Mitt Romney is like this vampire that just seems to never go. You put a stake in his heart, you think he's gone, and he shows back up.
1: Mitt Romney is the white knight of the Republican establishment. The Republican establishment, which has treated the Christian right and blue collar workers and other real conservatives with the utmost contempt since 1996. What happened in 1996? The Republican Party put out the orders to the to the Christian right, you have to support Bob Dole over Pat Buchanan. Doesn't matter Pat Buchanan is a social conservative, pro-life hero, fervent conservative, Bob Dole is just some mediocre hack. It's Bob Dole's turn. And you got, we're going to say jump, and you guys are going to ask how high. And indeed, unfortunately, back then, the, Chris, the voters of the Christian right listened to their leaders. They obeyed their leaders, and they supported Bob Dole. Ever since then, they have been treated with the utmost contempt as the redheaded stepchild at the GOP table begging for scraps. The, the, the neocons got every stupid war they wanted. Uh, they... The, The big business elites got all the immigrants they could wave across the border to keep wages down. And indeed, blue-collar wages were frozen for 40 years until Donald Trump came into office, adjusted for inflation. Frozen for 40 years. The same period of time, we had massive, low-skill immigration, and the 1% got more and more of the wealth. Those are not coincidences. That is causal Well during the primaries <laughs> trump was isolated so he went to the vote to the voters including blue collar workers evangelical christian voters conservative catholic w- voters and he asked for their vote and he promised them good policy things on life issues on defending the borders on asserting american sovereignty on looking out for the worker and he got their votes that infuriated the gop establishment the the, pe- the petty men who ride back and forth from D.C. To, to, to New York on the Acela quiet car, the people who think of themselves as the respectable element in the Republican Party who want to invade the world, invite the world, and keep abortion legal because it, it reduces the welfare rolls. Mitt Romney was their dream candidate. He was so openly, openly opportunistic, so crassly opportunistic that it was a little bit hard to cover up the fact that in 1994, running in Massachusetts, he, he had a campaign flyer that said retaining a woman's right to choose was one of his foremost issues. But he supported RU-46, that he, he claimed he had a pro-life conversion in 2004 well, when he was running for governor he said he was in 2002 he was personally pro life but then in 2005 he was still publicly supporting Roe v Wade he 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 helped create tax fair funded abortion under Romney care he gave planned parenthood an instrumental role in creating Romney care he appointed pro abortion judges he apporn- appointed pro- gay activist judges all over Massachusetts, and when one of those activist judges declared same-sex marriage to be legal, he didn't have to enforce that. He gleefully enforced that because he had promised the log cabin Republicans that he would support it. The re- One of the reasons we have gay marriage imposed on all of America is because Mitt Romney did not do his job as governor and defend that state's laws from these activist judges. So when Mitt Romney presents himself as a man of principle who who made who, who conferred with God and his conscience drove him to vote for impeachment, no. No, Mitt Romney was too proud to be like John Bolton and flatter Trump into hiring him. Mitt Romney wants the Democrats to win in 2020 so that the wreckage of the Republican Party – Will have no one to turn to but him, and that is his strategy now. And now he's in exile, in a sort of internal exile. But he's counting on the Democrats to win. He's hoping the Democrats will win. He wants to help them to win, because if the whole party collapses, he can pick up the pieces. It reminds me, uh, as some of the, many of the Never Trumpers remind me, of the extreme right in France in the 1930s. They used to, they hated. The uh, center-left socialist prime minister, Leon Blum, in part because he was Jewish, in part because he was a socialist. They hated him so much they used to joke, better Hitler than Blum. And indeed, when Hitler defeated uh, a dispirited and divided France in May 1940, June 1940, what what did the Vichy French do? What did these French do? They, they, these, these particular far-right Frenchmen, a lot of them joined the Vichy government, and they worked for Hitler. They used the Nazi conquest of their country as an opportunity to gain power and finally get the positions that the voters had denied them for 30 years. I think that never-Trumpers are like that. They're hoping for a Democrat victory and, a, and a, a sweep of both houses of Congress in 2020 so that they can say you see all this vulgar populism and this religious fanaticism and this blue-collar vulgarity, you see what it gets you? It gets you a disaster. What we need now to rein in what President Sanders is trying to do is Mitt Romney to come in for as a voice of the center, and that's what Mitt Romney is planning to do.
0: Yeah, The good news is – Unlike the Vichy, who had a strong government to appeal to, the Democrats are imploding before our very eyes,
1: and that's right. They can't even run a caucus in, in Iowa. Yeah,
0: and they have elected the two scariest guys. I mean, they have they have Buttigieg, which is scaring African Americans and Latinos. You have Bernie Sanders, who's scaring working class white folks. They just need to get Harvey Weinstein up on that stage uh, to scare women. The women vote, <laughs> and who do we need to scare the Catholic vote? You know who. The the four most important <laughs> voting blocks, because uh, they've got two of the most important voting blocks scared to death. Um,
1: you know, and-, well, and let me let me talk a little bit about Pete Buttigieg, okay? Because he's going to be presented as a more moderate candidate than Bernie Sanders. In no way is he any more moderate. He is <clears throat> he is a different kind of Marxist. Bernie Sanders is a Marxist on the model of Vladimir Lenin, who wants a coup d'état. To divide up the property and start seizing the farms and hanging the priests. Pete Buttigieg is a, is an acolyte of Antonio Gramsci, who is the Italian Marxist theorist who created what is called cultural Marxism. And cultural Marxism is all about infiltrating the institutions, the university, the schools, the media, but especially the churches, and subtly perverting them so that they can promote communist materialism. And that is exactly why Buttigieg talks about his religious faith and his Christian faith, but he can't even muster up the decency to oppose infanticide. Yet he wants us to take him seriously as a Christian believer. That is just rhetoric that he is using as part of the Gramsci strategy to infiltrate the church and convince religious believers to vote like Marxists instead of voting like Christians. Now, why am I making this connection between Gramsci and Buttigieg? Buttigieg? Pete Buttigieg's father was the world-renowned expert, international expert on the ideology of Antonio Gramsci. He was an advocate. He was president of the International Gramsci Society. He was a communist professor employed at so-called Catholic Notre Dame University promoting cultural Marxism around the world—that is the creed that Pete Buttigieg was raised in. He soaked in cultural Marxism with his father's milk.
0: And the Never Trumpers are going to be telling us that we, to be good Christians, we would be better off voting for him or Bernie Sanders than Donald Trump. That's what they're going That's to. That's right. Us. That's right. Now, John, yeah, the Never str- Trumpers who. There's a story I want you could to bring. Fit
1: all the Never Trumpers, you could fit all the Never Trumpers into the Acela quiet car, and I think, in fact, they're there. That's where they stay, <laughs> and they ride back and forth, back and forth all day in case America needs them.
0: See, this is why I love our phone call, our conversations, because I put it on speakerphone, and you just talk, and my wife laughs, and that's that's something that would have had her on the floor laughing, because you're exactly <laughs> right. They are on the Acela car. And, you
1: know, I, you and I have had... The working. quiet car, the one where the... The one where they can tell people to shut up. But you know, know they're too important.
0: I've taken those cars with those guys, and I look over and see what they're doing, and they're usually playing Candy Crush on their phones. They're playing Candy Crush. <laughs> I think
1: they're writing their. I think they're writing memoir. Their memoirs too.
0: Yeah, that their children won't even read. So I want to tell a story uh, that you and I have discussed before. I just want to share it publicly. And you quoted, you know, you you quoted some of this in your, your an article this week on Romney. But you know they talk about uh, decorum and and they, they they you know Mitt Romney prayed about it and what's doing the right thing. When I campaigned against Mitt Romney in 2007 when I worked for Sam Brownback who was Senator Sam Brownback at the time running for president, what I witnessed in Iowa from the Romney campaign was unlike anything I had ever seen and I've worked on campaigns all across this country and primaries in general elections, and, and what I witnessed with the Romney campaign was, was unlike anything I had ever, ever witnessed. And, you know, I had in my office, and this is the type, this is what they're like behind the smile and the makeup and the facials that they get every, you know, every week. And I've been around these guys. They get, these are men that get pedicures, okay? That's what you need to know. And they get manicures. <laughs> they get manicures. They get, manicures. Uh, they get you know, they, they wear makeup to work, that's Mitt Romney, okay? So, but beneath that smile and the veneers and the manicures, this is who Mitt Romney really is. I was in my office in Des Moines, Iowa, when businessmen who had endorsed Brownback came into my office. And when I really hit the roof was when one man came in and began to cry and said that he had to take his endorsement from us and that he was going to endorse Mitt Romney. And he, he was crying, and he said, uh, "You know, he said he had to do this because a gentleman from the a gentleman, a man, someone from the Romney campaign, and this was a national figure, told him there would be consequences to his business, and I believe he was an insurance salesman if he did not switch his endorsement." And I got that's so, right. Romney is a bully. And I got He's so angry, duck. and because you know, I don't play that game. Uh, I went up to their guy, the guy that did it, at the Iowa convention, and in front of his staff said, if you threaten one more of our people again, I'm going to blank blank you in front of your wife and children so they know what kind of a blank you are, okay? That led to (laughs) a true story. I'm saying it. Uh, You know, my rules on this podcast. uh, Just to be
1: clear, you threatened threatened him with grievous bodily harm.
0: Yes. Blank blank. (laughs) I'm not going to admit to. Well, that could be, that, I, I just want to be clear. It was, you know, that's what it, it was. was yeah. It was grievous bodily harm, yes. Okay, so uh, the result was they told Brownback to fire me and kick me out of the state, the Iowa GOP. Sam Brownback, he's a gentleman. He's a very kind, decent man. He would never do anything like that, but he stood by me because he was so appalled at what had happened. And this guy admitted to it. I had someone with a camera behind him recording it. He didn't know, and he said, yeah, mm. I'll do it, and I'll do it again. And I said, yeah, do it again, and that's when I threatened him. Um, So then I took the tape to the party, and so we have this, and I will release it, um, where he's admitting, you know, committing a felony, and I I don't mind admitting punching a guy in the face, but I would be very much ashamed to admit that I threatened a man's livelihood. I would be disgusted at my, I would never do that in a million years. That is disgusting. We don't do that. Well, um, the Iowa GOP threatened to kick me out. John McCain got word of it. They were going to kick Brownback out of the straw poll if he didn't fire me. And Brownback said, "I'm not firing him." Then McCain said, "If you know, if you kick Brownback out of the straw poll, I'm dropping out of the straw poll." And it got to be a pretty big deal. Uh, so there's something you know. I've had my differences with John McCain, but he was so repulsed by Mitt Romney's campaign's behavior. And this is this is just this brutal ambition with this fake smile. And nothing was so heartbreaking for me as to see Christian conservative leaders endorse him and support him. Did they not see through him? Are they shocked now, all of these conservative leaders that endorse Romney, uh, even in the primaries? Um,
1: I, I don't know. I think they're all bought and paid for. And the thing about Trump's people is that they can't be bought. They can't be paid for. They're not looking for jobs in D.C. They, they want to go back to their lives. They just want to have a country with borders and workers with decent salaries. And both they would like both political parties to be patriotic and not run by crackpot extremists, whether it's the radical leftists of, of the Bernie Sanders group group out in the dem- among the Democrats or the deranged neoconservatives who hijacked the Republican party for 30 years and ran it into the wall.
0: Yeah. And I'm starting to see the neoliberals, what we call neoliberals and the neoconservatives. They're just, they're the same tribe
1: with the hat. exact same you- tribe. That's why Bill Kristol has switched parties to the Democrats. I, I wish they would all go back to the Democrat party. Then there'd be a Democrat center again. What happened was the center, uh, That uh, the, the more conservative Democrats, they just came into the Republicans and became the neocons and took control of it. So what did that do? It eliminated genuine cultural social conservatism. It just made that into like an extremist tribe that nobody wanted anything to do with. They, tr- they tried to paint Pat Buchanan as a neo-Nazi. They, they tried to destroy when, those of us who came out against the Iraq war in 2003. National Review published a column calling us unpatriotic conservatives for warning exactly what would happen in Iraq. We were right about everything. They were wrong about everything, yet they kept control of the party for another 10 years, and it took Donald Trump to kick those hacks Functionaries and 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 basically eternal freshmen playing risk in their dorm at Yale with the lives of American soldiers to kick them out of power. It took Donald Trump. So God bless Donald Trump. I hope people will read my columns at Stream org. I write there five days a week. I'm a blue collar worker of the mind. Well,
0: oh, no, John, you are. You're from Queens, and uh, that's why I love you. You're a fighter. Yeah, I'm from
1: the same neighborhood as Donald as Donald Trump, it's like, he talks like my dad, it's, and he's a lot, it's like having my dad as president, which is pretty great.
0: Right, well, and John, I, I want to encourage everyone to read you at the stream. There were real consequences for you. There have been time and time again, your, your stand against the Iraq war really damaged your career. I mean, you you know, it was, you you did so at great personal cost. And um, I, I remember the moment
1: when, our troops were rolling through Iraq. Everybody with a decent job I knew in the conservative movement was on board with the Iraq war, and it looked like we were winning. And I, and I thought, I could just switch sides. I could just say, I was wrong. You're right. This war is great. I could do that, and it would make my life a lot easier. And I thought, I'm going to have to look at the same face in the mirror for the next 40 or 50 years, and I know this is not going to end well for American soldiers or for the Christians who have to live in Iraq or for the ordinary people of Iraq. I know this is going to be a disaster. Just wait a few months. I can't do it. I have to be able to look myself in the face. And I tell you, it was worth it, Jason, because I'm still looking at the same face and I'm, you know, I'm not disgusted with
0: myself. Well, we didn't believe the lies that other, I think other people actually believed the lies. We didn't. And if we believed it, we, you know, I had a nuanced position. I came out and said that I I think that there is an argument to be made that we have the right to invade Iraq, but I don't think we have the patience or the fortitude to stick around. And when we leave, it's going to be catastrophic. And I, I remember there was a point where I thought maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we will stick around. Maybe we have the fortitude. The surge was working. And, of course, the American people tired. A demagogue from Hawaii via Chicago sold them a bill of goods, got elected president. We left. The rise of ISIS, the shattering of everything we had thought we were building. Um, Genocides erupted. And, you know, for me, John, I, I can look myself in the face, and I'm grateful because my brother fought in Iraq my son fought in Syria and Iraq, and my best friend, who I was with on 9-11, uh, has three purple hearts, um, and wow. has been more or less at war ever since. And um, by the way, he's he's been opposed to it from the very beginning, but he did his job. He had a job to do for his country. That's right. He, Just
1: like Tulsi Gabbard did. God bless
0: her. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you that, brought that up, because you named some folks in the Republican Party who are fighting... For the American people, and there are Democrats who we may disagree with, but that are aligned to fight for the interests of the American people against entrenched special interests, and they are just as quick to destroy people like Tulsi Gabbard as they are someone like Pat Buchanan. And there—that's are- right. Tulsi
1: Gabbard pointed. Tulsi Gabbard pointed out that the so-called moderate rebels that John McCain and Mitt Romney at the time Lindsey Graham wanted to send American rockets and guns and tanks to, that they were in fact al-Qaeda terrorists. And sure enough, events proved her right. The city of Idlib, which is where the so-called moderate rebels are, who are supportive of the Turkish government, that was the place that was hiding Soleimani, the head of ISIS. That is the place where... Al-Qaeda terrorism is coming out and, and trying to destroy Christians just as badly as ISIS was. So The neocons wanted to put Al-Qaeda in charge of Syria, leading, which would have led to the ethnic cleansing of a million Christians, countless Yazidis, um, other minority Muslims. Um, what's the name of the group? that yeah, that the Alawites, that uh, the, the Alawites. The Alawites. It would have, would have been a religious genocide. And we saw that because when Turkey put those so-called moderate rebels in charge of a part of, of, of Syria, namely Afrin province, that's exactly what happened. They drove out all the Christians, all the other religious minorities, and turned it into a little corner of Saudi Arabia. Tulsi Gabbard saw that. You and I saw that. What happened? Hillary Clinton labeled Tulsi Gabbard... A Russian asset, just the way David Fromm labeled anti war conservatives unpatriotic. That's how the game is played in Washington. Thank God we've got somebody like Donald Trump who doesn't play by those rules. And,
0: and you know, and let's I, do this again
1: soon. David. Yeah,
0: John, I want to have you back on. I just want to close on this. Thank God for the stream. And I encourage everyone to bookmark the stream.org if you read Flipboard to make sure you follow John Smirak, you follow him on Twitter. And I am very hopeful because I can't, you know, we have someone like Trump and we also have someone like Tulsi Gabbard and I hope she keeps fighting inside the Democrat Party. I want to see two strong pro-America parties, pro-peace parties that compete for the interests of the American people with the interests of Americans. Uh, in their mind, we can talk next time about Jeffrey Sachs, who was just at the Vatican saying America is the great threat to the world. Yeah, not China with three million Uyghurs in concentration camps, but the United States of America. So unlike 2003, yeah. we have the new media, we have podcasts, we have people on the left like Dave Rubin and Tulsi Gabbard. And we have places on the right like the stream.org where people are are speaking uh, thoughtfully and honestly They're not hiding behind opaque language. They're speaking clearly. Um, And so it's a good time to be alive. And John Zmerek, thank you very much for being on my show.
1: Thank you. God bless.
0: And this has been another episode of The Jason Jones Show. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon. Aloha. This has been The Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media.